Hello, everybody. It is Corey Fourier, and excited to be back with the latest edition of the Let's Do Influencing show, and really excited to have a first-time guest with us today. So, Josh, Jonas, really excited to have you here, and I think, you know, Josh, where I'd like to start, and probably the most important place to start, is to get you to tell us a little bit about who you are and your backstory, especially for those listeners who may be discovering you for the very first time today. Uh, sure, absolutely. Hey, Corey. And um, first, I just want to say thanks for, um, I'm honored to be here with you and thanks for including me in this. Um, so yeah, my name is Josh Jonas. I am uh, here in uh, New York, in Manhattan. Uh, I'm a director of the Village Institute for Psychotherapy here in New York City, as well as a, a therapist. I see patients out of um, the Institute. And then I also have a podcast called Session Lessons, uh, which I try to make a long story short there's a few different reasons for the the podcast but i what i do is i interview uh, patients of mine and we talk about the process and how it's been helpful to them um and the main reason for the podcast has been a couple of things but kind of demystify therapy also destigmatize therapy um and as uh i don't know i don't I, the risk of sounding uh, uh, self-aggrandizing here. Also a little bit of wanting to rebrand therapy because I think therapy is something that can be so helpful, but so many people have a lot of either stigma about it or go, ah, I don't really think that's for me, or I don't want to just talk and talk and talk and have no one say anything back to me. And so part of the reason for that podcast is for people to understand how powerful it can be. And, you know, sort of in, in alignment with what we're talking about here today, how it can, therapy itself can actually be an, a, a major influencer uh, in helping you build and create your life. So that's the reason for the podcast and sort of what I try to do. So, so I, you know, I love that, Josh. And, and I think for me, um, where I'd like to sort of start is, you know, you talked about that negative stigma. And I'm pretty open about it in the show because she's pretty open about it in real life. But mm -hmm. uh, my girlfriend battled addiction for a number of years mm. and, um, and, and dealt with a lot of the, I guess, you know, alcohol addiction, uh, drug addiction, and just various battles. And one of the things that um, was a struggle for her, and I think it's a struggle for a lot of people, is the fact that, as you just noted, there's a stigma associated. Mm -hmm. And so my question is, just, and this just made morely, more an opinion question. So why do you think it is that that stigma still exists? Like, I think more and more people realize that, say, addictions and mental illness impacts everybody. So, I, you know, it's still strange to me that the stigma is pretty much almost as strong as it always has been. Why do you think that sort of persists, if you will? Um, that's a great question. Uh, you know, and I think about this a, a lot. And I, and I think it, the stigma has to do with a few things. I think, first of all, um, you know, we, we have a – I mean, it depends on how, you know, how deep you want to go. You can get into this, this – uh, the thing of we all want to – we have a deep need to – I'm, I'm a big believer. It's funny. I just did a talk this past weekend, and this is one of the things that I talked about, that we are all born biologically needing to connect. And so I think sometimes – the the belief is deep down in the wiring that if I show a flaw in me, if I show something that is broken in me, um, that I'm going to be kicked out of the tribe. I'm going to be rejected. People are, are going to not want to 
associate with me or not want to be with me, want not want to get to know me. And so we we sort of build up this false assumption that the way that I'm going to stay connected to people, the way that I'm going to get to be connected to the people that I want to be with is by showing them that I am pristine, that there's nothing wrong with me. Um, I, I think that's part of it, number one. Number two, um, you know, when you're talking about things like addiction, uh, that's something that so 99.999% of the time, my belief is, is that, is that people who battle with addiction, uh, grow up in some sort of trauma and, and when there's trauma, one of the, the very, very big feelings that comes out of trauma is feeling a lot of really deep shame. And once we have, once we're really experiencing shame, we we are so afraid to engage with people because we're afraid we're afraid of being seen then it's broken so um i i think that a lot of the time that the, the ways in which we hurt and the ways that which we we have been hurt come along with so much shame and then that shame leads us to not want to be seen for the play the ways in which we hurt which then makes us not want to have people see us and then it kind of grows like that so i'm kind of giving a a longer answer here, but I think that's that's one of the reasons why um, there's such a there's such a there can be such a stigma around it because the idea that um, there's something that would that we feel broken and then to show that brokenness uh, it feels scary. I hope this this now I feel like it's a very long answer, but I think it's kind of a, it's a, a long it's kind of a big question. No, and and that and that's you know that's a great answer, and that's sort of what I was looking for, and and. You know, another thing you mentioned in there as well, Josh, was about this idea of tribes. And we started talking, you know, as a society or as a general rule about tribes, I feel like, in the last five years and their impact mm -hmm. on, on us. And, and, you know, some people would know them maybe as communities or what have you. But do you think that sometimes people overlook? And I, and I, I bring this up because I was having an interview yesterday with somebody who talked about how he noticed that success is sort of related to how tied people are to their original tribe, you know, so their family tribe, uh, mm -hmm. you know, what, what like, for example, you know, are they tied to this idea that money is an evil thing because that's what their original tribe told them? And is that interfering with the tribes they work with now? And so, you know, this whole idea of tribes, do you think we underestimate how big of an impact, let's say that family tribe or that original tribe has on our life in the future? Um, wow. That's a great question. So, um, What do I think? I, I well, you know, it's so it's funny because you know we it, it, this is a great question because you know we were just talking about the why is there this stigma about therapy, um, and one of the one of the stigmas about therapy or the cliches about therapy is I don't want to go to therapy and just learn to blame everything on my parents, right? That's that's one of the things that people will say is well I'm going to go to I'm going to go to therapy and you're going to tell me how awful my mother was and then somehow I'm supposed to be magically um, which, which is, I, I think, a cliche of, of therapy. But, but I think what is important is that we understand, we understand how we were put together, and it, it is, uh, and you know, you I know you and I have talked about this a little bit. You know, ask anyone that just had a newborn baby and and realize how crucial the mother and the father are to building the inside life of that child on a daily basis. It's, it's all the child knows. I'm, I'm, something I tell people often is that when we're growing up, 
it's the outside world that builds our inside world. And that outside world is mom and dad. So growing up, it's the, it's the outside world that builds our inside world. And then as we get older, it's actually our inside world that then builds our outside world. So um, I think that it's very important for us to be aware of who did the putting together and how we were put together. Uh, and in that way, I think, just like you said, yeah, the, tr the tribe that we come from absolutely is going to play a part in who we are and how we exist in the world. I think the, then the exciting part, though, and again, I hope I'm answering your question. The exciting part, though, is that we then get to realize that our past doesn't have to equal our future. And I think, you know, you, you mentioned successful people. I think all, and that, again, success is such a nebulous word, and we could have a great conversation about what that means but i think anyone that we would think of as successful i think at some point that person realized that their past doesn't have to equal their future that they've realized um, no matter what they come from there is a way that they can build their present day life um, in a way that would be fulfilling and meaningful to them so I was reading a quote of yours on your website, Josh, and I want to read it really quickly to you and then get your thoughts on something in relation to this. But okay. it's this great quote about failure that you have. And so the quote for listeners uh, is basically, for many men, we fear nothing the way we fear failure. We need to confront the failure. When we live a life, sorry, when we live a life of avoiding this fear, we are stuck in a life unlived. And so, Josh, I mean, first of all, I love that quote because I talk often about failure and, and what it can do to us, meaning how we view failure. And another thing that I've noticed, and I don't know if you've ever seen the Steve Jobs Stanford commencement address. Um, I don't know. I haven't. I haven't. Okay. I'll ask you this, and then if you at some point want to view it later, so it's a question I'll uh, ask. Yeah. But it's really the cusp of the talk, in my opinion, is he talks about how we need to, well, what he did in his life is he joined up these three dots that he realizes now. So with his dots were these three moments in time that are most responsible for his life and his success. And what I find interesting when I examine those is more often the things that we consider failure, the things that we consider the worst time of our life, the things that we consider the most horrible things that's ever happened to us often are responsible for the best things that's ever happened to us and our biggest milestones. And so my question is, do you think, in your opinion, when we talk about people avoiding failure or beating themselves up over failure, that sometimes it would be beneficial that they realize that some of these moments they call failures today, tomorrow might be the story they share with so much pride and, and talk about the fact that that was the defining moment in their life? Oh, absolutely. Absol absolutely. Um yeah, and again, sometimes a lot easier said than done. But if you if you listen to any person again whose whose life you would admire, and you and you listen to them give their autobiography, and they were to talk about the moments in their life that they learned the most, that they grew the most, that they look back on and go, "Wow, that was such a major moment for me." Um, I, I'm almost every story, every moment is going to be about something that in the beginning felt like a failure. Um, it just, it just happens every time. Um, you know, if you ask, I, I don't know, I, you know who anyone off the top of my head, but um, what was, what was something where you grew the most and informed you the most? Uh, it's about how um, 
you know, and this is not to get all, all, all wonky here, but this is also something that um, a lot of Joseph Campbell, who did, you know, wrote all, all about the hero's journey, that this is something that's built into to, to any, any journey that you have to go down into the darkness at some point to then crawl out. And so, uh, and it's true for me and my, in my personal life that, that moments that felt so painful felt so much like, oh man, what a failure. Th those are the things that we grow from. Um, now, uh, the, the hard part is it's, it's super easy for us having this conversation now to, to talk, you know, in a very passionate intellectual way about failure. When someone's in it, it can be very difficult because I do believe um, that one of the things that is the most painful, and I think even, I know this, this sometimes gets a, a rise out of people, but I think even more for men than women, I'm not saying women don't fear failure and don't suffer from failure, but there's something I see even, it, it's even more painful for men. I see men even more um, stay out of their lives, not fully enter into their lives because of this deep fear and pain of failure. Yeah, it's so true. And, and when you say it, I mean, and, and when I read your quote, and then when you say it now, Josh, I never really looked at it through those lenses before. Like, I never looked at it. I, you know, I wonder, you know, who I noticed that seemed to be more debilitated by it. But mm -hmm. looking at it now, through those lenses of realizing that, I agree completely that it seems like, you know, for whatever reason, um, you know, men seem to struggle with this. And I mean, maybe it's this whole idea of, we put too much pressure on ourselves, of uh, thinking we have to conquer it all and mm -hmm. eat at all costs and, you know, to be the first one on the moon and, you know, and to, to drive the first car on the moon. I remember Jerry Seinfeld talking about a joke of that, you know, the fact that uh, how much further do we want to conquer? There's nothing more uh, egotistical. I, I can't remember his wording, but a man getting to the moon and then having to take a car out and drive further. You know, like yeah, that. yeah, exactly. Exactly. Or so just, absolutely. Or just, you know, this is not to make this a whole man or woman thing, but every single guy I know, if he wads up a piece of paper and tries to throw it in the garbage, when he makes the shot, he goes, hey, check, look at what I just did. Hey, did you see that? What a great shot. That even, even a small moment like that is like, we want, I want you to realize my success in this moment. Um, and so the opposite is also true. Pain, fa failure is can feel or the fear of failure really it's which is also interesting can be feel debilitating so let me ask you this then and this is just a, a more of an opinion-based question than anything else but my girlfriend talks often about this book which you may or may not have heard of or read uh, and I, i'm going by memory i should google it right now as we're talking i'm sure i get the name right but i think it's called the um maybe the five levels of love or something like that for the five love languages yes thank you yes uh, gary gary Chapman, I think, or something like that. And I'm blank. Okay, I blank. I'm blanking on the author's name, but I know, I know the concepts of it. I haven't read the book cover to cover, but I do know of the book. Okay, so she told me two concepts of the book, and that's all I know about it. Um, it's probably similar concepts to the book Men Are from Mars as well. But mm -hmm. what she said, and so she, this stuck with her. I guess I could say it this way: this stuck with her since the day she read it, and she talks about it all the time. And she actually looks through these lenses, but she said the book basically. And I don't know if this is the summary of the book or if this is just one big thing in the book to her, but basically men are looking for respect 
in you know what the, what they drive for and what they try to achieve in life is all about I, you know I want you to respect me and this is I mean from the opposite sex's perspective I guess men yeah. look for respect and women look for love and mm. look, they say that that's what drives almost every decision they make and why I bring that up is as we're talking about this fear of failure you know my head starts going to is there a connection there as well you know the idea of respect not in the sense of give me respect but in the sense of like the beating up the chest yeah respect and if i can if i can you know do this thing then i'll get respect but if i try this or if i think i think in my head if i try this and fail then i lose respect i mean i wonder if there's something connected to that Can, so i have so many thoughts Corey, about what you're talking about but i want to make sure when you say connected to that is there something connected to what to the failure piece yeah so in other words if i fail then i lose the respect of the people watching me fail you see what i mean like as from a you know I, I I'm looking to gain respect from people. And if I take this, like I'll use the example of speaking because that's where I hear the most about people talking about this fear of speaking. And part of that's the fear of the unknown, which is the fear of failure. Right. So, you know, I think of it from that perspective is a lot of the people that tell me that they're scared to speak when we go, you know, the five whys, you know, asking them deeper why, you know, why and getting them to think deeper on it. What, what really seems to come out more often than not is they're scared of being embarrassed in front of people that they want to respect them. They might not use right. the word respect, but that's sort of what you're driving at. So then I start thinking, is that why maybe men are more scared or have this fear of failure? If that is the case, because maybe men are looking for respect and scared to lose respect from people that they either know or don't know. Yeah. So I have a, a, a lot of, I guess I have a lot, a lot of thoughts on this. And I think, and I think of, a, um, the word that I think of a lot is in when I think of what men are looking for. And, and one way you could say it is respect. For whatever reason, the word that I think of is admired. Um, for some reason, and, and it could, you know, we could be sort of um, splitting hairs here, but I think there's something about being admired by the woman that you're with that I, for me, feels deeper for some reason. Respect feels a little more cerebral, whereas admired feels a little more visceral, but whatever, whatever resonates on a deeper visceral level, I think that's what men are, are wanting. And I think the, but I think it also has to do with, there's a, there's a woman, her name is, um, cause I always want to give credit to the people. So there's a woman whose name is Alison Armstrong. I don't know if you know, Alison Armstrong, no, she does, a, she does amazing work with men and women and one of the things that i heard her say is um once you throw testosterone into the mix if you don't understand that everything men are doing they are in it to win it then you're not fully understanding men <laughs> and um and i just it i think it's it's so dead on and so um we want to we want to win and we want to win to to be thought of as an as a success to be thought of as an excess to be admired uh, and to then, yes, get that respect and ultimately then get that connection that we so deeply want. But for us, it is so, I think, so wired up in, um, so wired up in wanting that, that success, that respect uh, and that admiration. And I think through all of that, that's where uh, failure again becomes so um, so, so scary. And then on the other side, when women want love again, not to, not to, I'm, this is just sort of the way my, my brain works. Um, 
again, I think of it a little bit differently because I think ultimately men want love too. But I think the thing that women are really, and again, because I think love can be such a confusing word and people can do a lot of painful things out of love or harmful things out of, you know, out of the reason for love. But I think what women are really looking for a lot of the time is this, this feeling of, of, of really deep connectedness that, and in a way you could say, you know, women in terms of relationships may be more, more evolved than men, because if you say to a woman, um, you know, I'm in it to win it, it doesn't even, it's like, what are you talking about? What do you mean, win what? Um, whereas what she's looking for is just a deep, and I don't mean just, but a, a deep connectedness. And so when that deep connectedness is not there, that to her is just as painful as the, the feeling of failure to a man. Uh, again, I'm speaking in general, generalities. So there's always going to be exceptions, but just, but so often this is what I see that, that what's so painful to the woman is just not getting that deep connectedness, you know, as opposed to the guy where um, he will need that, that success and that whatever the opposite of failure is to him even more sometimes than that feeling of deep connectedness. So, Josh, you know, as we start, at least to wind down, uh, mm. I have a few key questions we try to ask, ask each guest in the show, but I always like to try to keep them connected to the conversation we're having at the time. So, sure. you know, and, and I know, you know, we're barely scratching the surface, so uh, we may have to look at scheduling a, a follow-up interview to dive you. Yeah, well, would love to. So here's my question, though, in relation to what we were just talking about. You know, talking about the stigma we mentioned and, and obviously the fact that, um, you know, since the beginning of time, people have struggled uh, with, you know, whatever it might be stigmas, it might be uh, mental uh, health issues that they've struggled with. But another thing that I've noticed is that people are constantly searching as well. So I'm sort of wondering the connection there, and I'll explain what I mean. But I used to, the show used to be called Conversations with Passion for a number of years. And the reason I changed the name is because I found a lot of people had this sort of backlash to the word passion. But I think it's because people kind of confuse passion and purpose and maybe lumped them in as the same. And, or they, they got told by so many people, you need to find your passion. And then they felt maybe like somewhat of a failure because they hadn't found theirs yet. So mm -hmm. my question out of that is how important, you know, if we skip over passion, maybe jump to purpose, because my, my belief is passion is what you do and purpose is why you're doing it. So I think purpose mm -hmm. is always with you. And I had this conversation yesterday with somebody about how the fact that um, passion can change all throughout our lives. Yeah. And, but purpose is seemingly a constant. And so my question is, out of all that, is how important is it, do you think, for a person to have or find their purpose as it relates to perhaps battling addictions, battling mental illness? Like, is it something that plays a big part if somebody can find that or have that purpose and helping them maybe uh, move away from those addictions or those challenges? Mm. Um, this, is, this is a deep question, man. Um, so I, I think it's, I mean, I, I think the long story short is, I think it's everything, honestly. I think, um, you know, I, I think there's a, fantastic book again speaking of successful people maybe we've talked about this that across the board yes people of all different disciplines uh what's a book that most shaped your life so many people will say uh, man's search for meaning by victor frankel mm -hmm. um and it's that's one of the books that changed my life because this is someone who went through the holocaust and then basically 
came out the other side and said, here's what I learned about life. And so that's when I go, I'm going to listen to what this person has to say. Um, and the thesis of the book, and I, it just rings so true for me, is that really um, the thing he says in the beginning of the book is sort of like you just said, Corey, he, he quotes, I think he quotes Nietzsche, and he says, if we have a, a why, we can bear almost any how. Um, and so I think that life becomes excruciating if we don't have a purpose, if we don't know why we're doing this, you know, I mean, um, that that's when things begin to feel unbearable. So in terms of, and, and I think it's so important because it, it can go across all areas, whether it's like you said, somebody battling addiction or somebody trying to build their career or build a business, whatever it is that you always have to start with the why you always have to start with the purpose. And it's, it's, I, I believe, I think it's that why that purpose that will help fuel someone through what it is that they're doing. Because like you said, passions can change or we can wake up one day and, and they go, man, I'm not feeling it today. You know, I'm not, I'm not feeling it today. But if you can hook up to, all right, well, but why am I going to do what I'm doing? Why am I, you know, whatever it is that I'm doing, why am I doing this? That can help rev the engine. That can actually maybe bring back the passion. So I think, again, I hope this isn't too long of an answer, but in a way, I think it's everything. I think it's everything, our purpose, our meaning. Um, if you don't have that, I, I mean, you, you, really, you're, you don't have anything. So I've shared this on the show uh, in the past, so it's not something that, you know, is a brand new revelation or anything, but uh, I will say too, Josh, for me personally, the reason I even, I guess what drives me to ask that question is because I, and for a significant number of years, but it feels like um, really far in the, in the past to me now, but I battled uh, hypochondria and generalized anxiety mm. for a number of years. And mm. for, you know, for listeners who maybe didn't hear me talk about it before, basically, for me, at least, with hypochondria, I read about somebody having something, and then all I had to do was start reading the symptoms, and then I started having the symptoms. Mm. And that, that started with anxiety, and, and I don't know. I mean, there was something probably way deeper. I haven't analyzed it to this level, but when it really showed itself is when I moved across the country from a place where I lived with you know 5,000 people to a place with a million people, and then I was in sales getting rejected every day. And mm. so I think the sort of the trauma, and, and again, it could have been deeper than that, but the trauma of all that happening is what triggered it, became the trigger. But um, what's interesting as well is people say, well, how did you get past it? And I'd love to have some great, grandiose, sexy answer. And <laughs> it was, you know, I, I, I went out to the woods and did this and that. But the truth is, it all started when I started discovering my purpose and uh. both. And that's why I think I've become such a big uh, advocate of it is because it was what I noticed was the thing that got me out of that. I called them like little compartments that I was stuck in. You know, when I was dealing with anxiety, it felt like I was living in little one minute compartments and every yeah. five hours or five days. And it just seemed like there was never, it was never ending. And there was no sort of end in sight of, you know, this constant worry and what have you. And so the purpose for me is what took me out of it. So that's why I kind of asked that question. And then I think about my, my girlfriend who I mentioned earlier, and she, um, with battling addictions and what have you, I noticed that she struggled like all, I mean, like I shouldn't say all, but a lot of addicts do in, in the battle. But what really made the difference is when she started having, um, or not when she started, when we had our first, or we had our child. Mm. And all of a sudden it was like a renewed purpose. And yes, 
her being a mother and what she gets from that and you know the idea of creating this future you know leader or at least good you know good servant of the world or what have you has sort of become her you know underlying purpose and that seems to have kind of helped her in this whole process like in other words i don't find her talking about having those cravings or anything like i used to and so i just kind of think you know i wonder if there's some sort of not mystical secret, but I wonder if there's something, some message there that we can all take from that about the importance of finding our passion or, or our purpose in life or both. Yeah. I mean, there's, I mean, you know, I mean, I could go, we could both go on on this topic forever it's, because it's so deep and it's so important what you're talking about. But I, but a couple of things, first of all, you know, when, when we're, when we, there's something where we are, um, battling an addiction or having you know major major bouts of anxiety what people what people tend to not realize is that it's our body's way of trying to still meet our needs and help keep us alive and it can sound really from the outside it can sound crazy because you know why is this person keep going with this addiction or how is anxiety a, my way of of staying alive but it's it's a way it's it's, you know, in, this, in the case of anxiety, um, again, speaking generally here, but in, in the case of anxiety, it's our, it's our body being constantly in on guard mode, trying to keep us safe in terms of, in, in, in terms of addiction. Again, it's a way of learning, tr figuring out how to self-soothe if we haven't really learned to do it by ourselves. And so these are major forces that are going on inside of us, anxiety, addiction, they're, they're major forces. And so it can be re it can feel really difficult and again this is part of this i think the stigma about therapy is that what is going and just talking going to do about major anxiety battling addiction and that question in a way is a good question because battling those a force with just a few thoughts in your head it's it's never going to work thoughts are no match for a force really the only thing that can battle a force is another force and when you hooked into your purpose when you hooked into what what ignited your passion and, and what your why was right if i have a why i can bear almost anyhow or when your girlfriend said she became a mom and all of a sudden those cravings went away because now she had her purpose that is a force that's able to then finally battle another force and so um i hope that somehow answers your question i mean th these are big epic topics that we're talking about so i'm, I'm trying to have them be as simple as possible without being simpler yeah no i i love it josh and and no the that your answers are, are are perfect because i know they're big questions and i know they sometimes necessitate big answers and saying that <laughs> here is uh the very last official question and then i just have one unofficial question uh, okay official question is the question i ask every guest or i have at least for a long time now uh probably because it's become my favorite question but uh that being said the question is if you could um, give yourself, uh, you know, your younger self, some life advice. So maybe if you jumped in a time machine, you could go back and give yourself um, some life advice based on what you've learned in the years since. And again, you can choose if it's 20 years younger or whatever timeline that is. But um, what do you think you might tell your younger self? Whew. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's interesting. I'm. Um, I heard this recently, and um, it, it's funny the things that resonate with you. It's sort of, you know, it's got to be right place, right time. Um, 
I'm I'm Jewish, uh, brought up Jewish, and I'm not I'm not um, what do you you know I'm I. I, I very much I very much love the fact that I'm Jewish and and Judaism is a big is important to me. I probably like all like or, or a lot of Jews. I I also <laughs> guilt about not being as involved in Judaism as I probably should be. But I heard someone say recently or a little while back, they said, "Do you know what the most repeated line in the Torah is?" And I went, oh, "I have no idea." And they and I was trying to. Da, 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 da. And they said the most repeated line in the Torah is do not fear. And I went, whoa, it kind of blew my mind. And I walked around the rest of that day just really thinking about this. Do not fear, do not fear, do not fear, do not fear. And I think if I could say one thing to my younger self um, growing up is that there's on the other side of fear, there's really nothing that all of these things that you are afraid to do dive in because there, what's waiting for you on the other side is nothing but growth. Um, and I think part of the reason I get so passionate about failure and people working through their failure is there's a law, a long period of my life where I, where I just hated myself, thought I was terrible, thought I was a failure, stayed away from, you know, relationship, everything, because I was so, so afraid to, to fail and, or just afraid to be, you know, afraid. And so if I were to throw out something to my younger self, it would be something along those lines of do not fear because there's you're real, at the end of it all, there's really nothing to fear. Wow. So, Josh, both powerful as an answer, but also really, I guess, sort of telling because, and, you know, maybe, you know, sometimes you have sort of the synergy with somebody that you bring on the show and, and you kind of sort of recognize it from afar. And what's interesting to me is two out of my three TEDx talks, one yeah. of them is about um, crushing your, your fears and stepping outside your comfort zone, which obviously wow. heavily relates to this idea of failure. <laughs> yeah. But then secondly, which is kind of, and I mean, I, I guess this one makes sense because I talked about it already, but um, the second te- or my latest TEDx talk, my third, is about what would you tell your younger self? Oh, wow. Well, yeah. It's built around this question. But what's interesting is what I decided to do is it's a, a five-minute TED talk, and it's uh, the premise I had was, why don't I finally share the common answers I've gotten to that question after as- asking it thousands of times? Yeah. So really cool is what you just revealed as an answer was very unique. And at the very same time, the theme behind the answer was also what I found to be the most common theme. So when I say that, what I mean is that the way you yeah. presented it was unique. But what's really cool is if you even watch the TED Talk, you'll see this. The really resounding answer relates back to that when I mentioned Join Up the Dots, Steve Jobs talk, which yeah. is that people recognize and realize that most of what they feared at that time in their life again, as I was saying earlier, became sort of the biggest milestone or one of the biggest moments in their life. And even though I don't say it, it's kind of this idea of, I think actually maybe in the talk, I do say it, the idea that um, most of these people, and these are high achieving leaders, they early on weren't high achieving leaders. They had lots of what we'll call failures. And what they realized is that they wouldn't get themselves to change any of those things that they worried about the most in their, in their life at the time. 
So the things they stressed about the most, worried about the most, ended up becoming some of those most important things that they ever did. So what mm. that told them now is basically they said, go back and tell the younger self, stop worrying so much. Stop worrying, wow. about, the stop worrying about the mistake because it'll probably end up being the thing you had to do in the first place. That's so cool. That is so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Abs- yeah. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. That's so cool. I love that. Well, and I just, like I say, I love that there's a synergy there to both those talks, to what we've been talking about today, but also the work that you're doing. So very cool stuff. Um, so when I talk about the work you're doing, that's a good segue for the unofficial question, which may be, you know, for some, the most important question mm-hmm. is that listening to this great interview, Josh, maybe they, they, are dealing with a similar situation to the one we've been talking that people have a stigma about. Maybe they're looking for help in that area. Maybe they just want to know more about the work that you do or the more about mm-hmm. what the organization does. Within all that, where would you normally direct people to connect further or learn more? Um, yeah, and great. Thanks for asking. So um, the easiest answer, I think there's two things. I would say uh, jo- my, my website, joshjonas.com is the easiest way to get to me and to learn more about what I'm doing. And then also um, I think you can get to the podcast through that. But if you also just want to, you know, learn more about the work that I'm doing, you can also go to, I think uh, the name of the podcast is session lessons and you can find it on iTunes and Spotify. And I think Google play. Um, Yeah. So session lessons or uh, and or joshjonas.com. Awesome stuff. Well, Josh, Jonas, this has been an absolute pleasure. I knew it would be. So I thank you so much for joining us today and sharing so much great insight. And again, uh, we will uh, we will call it a to be continued because I think uh, we barely scratched the surface. Yeah, I would. Uh, so I would love to. And thank you so much, Corey. This has been a lot of fun. And like I said, I'm honored and really appreciate to be able to, to do this with you. So thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.